We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Today's passage is from Romans 15, verses 22 to 33. Please turn to Romans 15, verses 22 to 33. That's Romans 15, verses 22 to 23. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus. If you're a guest, uh, welcome to, uh, to Emmaus. It's a joy to have you with us. We'd love to meet you after the service at the Connect table, or, or you can go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. That's EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. You can fill out a digital connect card there to, to let us know that you are here and ask any questions that you have and learn more about our church. There's also opportunities at EmmausKC.com forward slash connect for you to um, get signed up for other opportunities, such as small groups or, or the membership process and that sort of thing. So we'd invite you to check that out or come by the Connect table. We'd love to have a conversation with you there. Just thanks for being with us. Um, hey, uh, you've been waiting for it for, for a while since COVID happened, but um, coming up on sep the first weekend of September, uh, we will be launching back into Emmaus Kids. Right, And so in the first service, all the parents in the room clapped about that one. Um, they were very excited about that. And I said, now bring that same enthusiasm to volunteer. All right, So the same excitement you have about our kids having Emmaus Kids again, bring to volunteer. And so we need about 20 volunteers a week for Emmaus Kids to, to pull off what we do, 10 each service. And so um, here's how you do that. If you email kids at EmmausKC.com, kids at EmmausKC.com, Email that and just say, I'm in. And they'll know that you're saying you're interested in volunteering to serve with kids, and they'll help get you signed up and all the information. If you've never done a background check at Emmaus, they'll help you do a background check for our kids' security and all those aspects. So kids at EmmausKC.com, um, and just say, I'm in. We'd love to have you help us with our kids' ministry. This summer, until then, um, our kids are doing uh, monthly gatherings in, in the middle of the week. And so make sure you pay attention to the website calendar, to social media, all those aspects for those times. Sign up for those. Bring your kids, let them begin to hang out with each other and have community again. And we look forward to launching into um, full Emmaus Kids starting the first weekend of September. 
Hey, I wanted to pray for you, and we're going to jump into this text. I, while I pray for you, I want you to pray for me as well. I asked the first service to do this. Just been one of those days where my mind and my heart are very distracted and very um, troubled. Right? Very troubled. Just kind of an exhaustive trouble and just felt like I had nothing to offer. Right, nothing to offer in the pulpit. So I'm just going to ask you to pray with me um, that the Spirit would speak this morning and that I'd be strengthened for this. I believe he answered that in the first service. Um, and I'm going to pray for you the same, and then we'll look at this text. And Jesus, I thank you for your, um, for your word you have given us here. In Romans 15, this, this missional plan and prayer that you have laid out for us. And today we need to hear from you. Father, we come into this room, some of us limping with sin, some of us crawling with wounds and hurts and brokenness, some of us exhausted, some of us cheerful and happy and in a great place. Father, wherever we're at, we need you to meet with us today. We need encouragement, and we need strengthening, we need correction, we need power to walk in obedience and holiness, we need Um, boldness to step out in mission. We need courage to believe you. And so would you speak through your word? Spirit, as I pray every week, would you preach a better sermon to these people than I have prepared? Would you strengthen me for this task? We need to hear from you. So please speak. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Chapter 15, the end of chapter 15, which means that we have only one chapter left in the book of Romans. The next two weeks, we'll conclude our 10-month journey through this book. We've been saying since the beginning that Paul wrote the letter of Romans to the church at Rome for the purpose of unifying this church, bringing unity to this church around the gospel. Right? There's, there's cultural fractions that are taking place. There's religious fractions that are taking place. This church is beginning to be disunified. And Paul writes this letter to the church with the purpose of unifying them, not around all the areas that they are, are disunified in, but unifying them around something that lasts uh, throughout the breadth of all of those, and that is the gospel. And so he spends 11 chapters unpacking just that, the gospel. And then he spends three chapters giving us the implications of the gospel, which are to live in a sacrificial, generous love for one another. And so Paul has been unpacking that for this church, so that this church would be unified up in the gospel so that they would be a faithful, healthy church, so that they would impact the city of Rome, which was around them. And we've been telling you Paul was doing this so that they would send Paul on to Spain with the gospel. So Paul's not mentioned that anywhere in this letter yet, but we've been telling you it's coming. He's writing this to unify the church and the gospel so they would be healthy and loving so that they would fund and support his mission to Spain for the gospel. And so here, finally, in this chapter, we get to see Paul express that desire to express him going on to Spain. Before we look at it, I want you to look at Romans chapter 1. Turn back to Romans chapter 1, verse 9. Romans 1, verses 9 through 14, at the beginning of this letter, in his introduction, if you will, he speaks of his longing to go to Rome. Verse 9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 
That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. The beginning of this letter, Paul writes, and he says, listen, I have a longing, an urge to get to you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you so that I may um, bless you with the ministry of the word. I want to teach you about Christ. I want to remind you of the gospel and encourage you. But I also want us to be mutually uplifted. I want to encourage you with my faith, and I need you to encourage me with your faith. And I want to do this so that I can preach the gospel so that I can preach the gospel to you as the church, so that I can preach the gospel to your city, and so that we can preach the gospel beyond your city. I want to come to you for these purposes. He says, but to this point, I have been hindered from doing that. Now, in chapter 15, we see the reason for his hindrance. And Paul reaffirms this desire to come to them. So let's look at chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. 22 through 24. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So he's been longing to come to them, he's been hindered to come to them, and what has hindered him is gospel work, gospel ministry. He's been doing this gospel work in in Corinth, Acacia, um, Macedonia. He's been ministering for the gospel there, um, preaching the gospel to those who have not heard, starting new churches, putting leaders within those churches. He's been doing this ministry, and the ministry's been going um, so well and is so all-encompassing, he can't come to Rome yet. He hasn't been able to. And yet now the work is done, and it's time for him to come. The work has come to a place where it no longer needs Paul. He can step out, turn the churches over that he has started to those who are pastoring them, let them continue the mission in the region he's in, and it's time for him to go to a new region. I think there's a lesson within this for us to see that just because an opportunity is a good opportunity doesn't make it the right opportunity. And just because, every, and just because uh, there's a right opportunity doesn't mean it's the right moment for that opportunity. It was appropriate for Paul to long for Rome, to want to get to Rome. And it was appropriate for Paul to long for Spain, to want to get to Spain, to preach the gospel to people who have not heard there. It was also appropriate for Paul to stay and be faithful where God had put him. And far too often we dream of what's next while also failing to be faithful in what is now. I think we can learn from Paul that where the Lord puts us in this moment to be faithful in that place until the Lord's timing to move us. So Paul says, I've been longing to be with you and it's not been time yet. Look at verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
right? So, so he goes, listen, I'm longing to come to you. I've been hindered because of the work I've been doing. The work's done. It's time to come. I can taste it. I can smell it. I can see it. I want to get to you. Here I come. Um, and I'm going to hope, I hopefully will get to see you in passing on my way to Spain. And at this moment, if you're receiving this letter, you're kind of like, well, that sounds kind of, you know, disingenuous. Kind of, kind of that, hey, good to see you. How are you doing? How's your family? Oh, they're good? Good, yeah, my family's good too. Hey, could I have $1,000? Right, some of you sent out these kind of support letters for mission trips. Right, you send them to people who you've never talked to, you have no relationship with. You basically give a paragraph of, hi, this is who I am. Bye, can I have some money? Right, that's the approach. It's almost as if that's what Paul sounds like. He's just like, hey, I need to get to Spain. I hope to see you in passing on my way to where I really want to be. But we know from chapter one and we know from this chapter, he truly has this longing to encourage them and to be encouraged by them and to preach the gospel there. And at the end of verse 24, he even says, after I've been with you for a while. Right, this isn't just same day, boat docks, he gets off, eats lunch, gathers his money bag from them, gets on the boat and takes off to Spain. He wants to spend some time. He wants to bless them and be blessed by them and have ministry there. But he also longs to get to Spain. It's where he's shooting for. Verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Acacia have been, placed, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul's not been able to come, but now he's ready to come. His work's done. It's time to go. I'm excited to see you on my way to Spain. But before I come to you, I've got to go to Jerusalem, right? And this isn't like a stop at Quick Trip to pick something up on his way there. He's literally got to go the opposite direction, right? Where he was at writing this is almost halfway between Jerusalem and Rome. So he has to go halfway back to Jerusalem and then the full way back to Rome. This is not a quick stop. This is not just a short detour. This is not, hey, I'll see you. I'll be a couple hours late. This is, I've got to go do something on my way to you. And if you're reading this, you're like, that's not on your way to me. But Paul had a mission. He had gathered money. He had gathered money from Macedonia and Acacia, and he's bringing it back to Jerusalem to give to them. There has been a famine, and there is need, and there are Christians who are going hungry, and, and there's been some forms of persecution breaking out. And Paul has been instructed by the church in Jerusalem to remember the poor. Before, when Paul had been in Jerusalem, they were questioning him about the gospel he was preaching to the Gentiles because his gospel was a lawless gospel. He was preaching um, salvation by faith, not by keeping the law. And the Jewish church was questioning his motives and the gospel he preached. And as they questioned him, they found the gospel he preached to be true. They said, we approve of what you're preaching, but we want to encourage you not to forget the poor while you're preaching that gospel. So Paul has gone forth preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and has taken that to heart and has not forgotten the poor in Jerusalem. So as he preaches the gospel to the churches among the Gentiles, he preaches it and he takes up offering for the poor in Jerusalem. And now he's bringing that offering personally back to Jerusalem. Two insights we see here. 
Number one, these Gentile Christians were pleased to give. They were pleased to give. This came out of joy and pleasure of their heart to give to the church in Jerusalem. It mentions the word pleased twice in this passage. Secondly, they owed it to them. They were obliged to give, obligated to give. They owed a gift. Fulfilling what Paul had been told, and, um, or, and they're, they're owed this, fulfilling what Paul tells us in 13.7, when he's telling us how to genuinely love. And he says, you genuinely love by paying to everyone what you owe them. Right, so they're actually fulfilling Romans 13.7, and they're fulfilling what Paul has said that they owed this church by saying, remember the poor. They're both pleased and obligated to give. The Gentile Christians owed something to the Jewish Christians because the Jewish Christians had given them the gospel. So Paul's line of reasoning that he goes through is this, because they gave you the gospel and you were able to believe in Christ and your whole eternity was changed, you owe them something back. They have given you a spiritual blessing, now give back to them in how you can, in ways that you can. I think there's actually an appropriate encouragement here for us to, as believers to give to the church and to mission. That we have received the gospel through preaching and through care and through genuine love and community and there is actually an obligation to give back to that. Right, that you've come to Emmaus and you receive the teaching at Emmaus and you receive the prayer at Emmaus and you receive the, the music and the worship at Emmaus and you receive the community of genuine love at Emmaus and it's an appropriate thing to give back to that. You actually owe it. And we could go through generations that there was a church that existed who decided to plant this church. And so they sent people and money to plant this church. And there was a church that existed that decided to plant that church. And so they sent gifts and people to plant that church. And we could go back generations. I know at least five generations of churches leading to this church, which now has blessed you. And there's an obligation we have to give back. But also, I want to point this out. Obligation and pleasure are not enemies. They're not mutually exclusive. Just because you're obligated to do something doesn't mean that it is not also a pleasure to do that. You can have both obligation and pleasure in the same moment, doing the same thing. Just as Paul tells us in 13.7, you, you owe it, you're obligated to, you're commanded to pay your debts as an act of love, he goes, this is a command, go do it. You must. And it's also a pleasure to give. It's also a pleasure to be generous. Church, more times than I can count, I've heard members of our church give the argument that, 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 that you don't want to be a burden to others. You don't want to be a burden to others. You don't want to ask people to walk with you through your sin because it's a burden. You don't want to ask people to help you with your financial need because it's a burden. You don't want to ask people to, to carry your emotional baggage because it's a burden. You don't want to be an obligation to their help. You know that they would help you because they signed a covenant that they would help you. So you're an obligation and a burden and you don't want to be that. You just want to help with their obligations and their burdens. Let's be honest. It is a burden to walk with each other. It is. As a pastor of the church, if you reach out to me with needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, counseling, 
needs to walk through sin, it is a burden to me. It's a burden to our pastors. It's a burden to those in your community group who you reach out to. It will cost us time. It will cost us energy. It will cost us resources to walk with you. It is a burden. And it is a joy. It is absolutely a joy. It is a joy to walk with one another in our burdens. And so church, I'm I'm pleading with you. Be a people who bless each other. Yes. Bless each other by carrying each other's burdens. Bless each other by giving to each other generously. Bless each other by walking with each other. Bless your pastors by praying for us and being generous to us and caring for us. Bless each other. And I'm also pleading with you, be a burden to one another. Be honest with your needs and your hurts and your sins. Tell them to each other and be a burden. It is both pleasure and burden to walk with each other. Verse 28. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Right, so I'm taking this money. I'm going to deliver it. Once it has been accepted, once they have gathered it in, I'll explain that as we get to the end of this passage. Once that has been accepted and everything is good, I will come to you. And when I get to you, I know it'll be in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Right, there is this this idea that Paul is writing with that he has been laboring and trying and longing to get to them for many years. And now there's one more pit stop before he gets to go to them. And he's saying, listen, when I finally make it to you, I know it'll be with God's blessing because it will finally have come. It'll finally be time that I get to be there. Because there's many of us who have had desires and aspirations dreams and prayers that we long for, things that, that aren't immoral, they're not even amoral, they're not sinful, they they're, they're may even be really good things, gospel things, um, building up things, like loving things for other people that we've yet to see come to fruition and that we may never see come to fruition. But when we've dreamed and we've longed and we've prayed and we've asked God to do something and the door has looked like it's shut for a long time and then God opens it and says, now's the time. What a joy to know we go with his full blessing. In his sovereignty, he has said, this is the time. This is the place. This is the way. Go. What a gift and what a blessing. On Paul's route to Rome, he goes to Jerusalem. Perhaps he thinks it's going to be a a period of months that he's gone, that he's delayed. But church, it turns into years. From the time he writes this and says, I'm done with my work, I've got one more thing to do, and I'm coming to you, it is years until he gets to Rome. And in those years that pass, he suffers many beatings. He escapes a lynching from a mob. He escapes an assassination plot. He was imprisoned unfairly and even shipwrecked. Right? He eventually makes it to Rome, but it looks nothing like what he had in mind. The journey, the trek, the time, the comfort, the process, it doesn't look like what he dreamed of, what he prayed for. He wasn't sitting in his room going, God, please make this be the most difficult three years of my life until I get there. He just needed to deliver some money and come. And the Lord delayed it. And Paul suffered in the process. 
Church, many believe, I, I believe, Paul never made it to Spain. He never even got there. He makes it to Rome. But he's been writing this letter with the desire to unify this church around the gospel so that they would send him on to Spain, the place he's been dreaming about going and preaching. And many believe he never even made it to Spain. Many years of dreaming, of praying, of planning, and he doesn't get there. Some of you have experienced this. Some of you have longed to live overseas as a missionary, and your health has kept you from being able to. Some of you have longed to have a certain type of life of ministry here in the States, but your health or your financial situation or, or different burdens in life have kept you from being able to do that. Some of you have life dreams, gospel dreams, ministry dreams, good dreams, things that you want to do with career and with ministry that would bless others, and they haven't come to fruition, and they might not ever. Let me ask you a question. Are those dreams and those prayers and all the planning put into that wasted? Are they wasted? Is it all a big waste to have dreams of being used for the sake of the gospel, to have dreams about a certain um, life or a certain place that you want to go, that you want to study, that you want to work at, that you want to do for ministry. Are those wasted dreams and prayers and planning and saving? One commentator writes, remember that for all of Paul's planning, he never actually made it to Spain. And yet... One of the most important lessons in Romans 15 might be put this way. God allowed Paul to dream of Spain so that he might write Romans. God allowed Paul to dream of Spain so that he might write Romans. How many dreams has God allowed his people to have over the centuries? In order for them, in order that he may accomplish through them something that actually has nothing to do with that dream. How many prayers has he allowed his people to pray? Longings that he's given his people so that he may do something different than that actual longing or that prayer. The church at Rome was strengthened by this letter. The universal church at the time was strengthened by this letter. The church throughout history and until this day has been strengthened by this letter. And you and I, church, the church called Emmaus in North Kansas City, in a year of pandemic and political firestorms, racial injustice and riots, cultural fractures, more than we can count. In this year, one of the most difficult years of our lives, a year that has fractured many churches across our nation, the Lord has used this letter to encourage us and to unite us and to strengthen us around the gospel. And Paul never made it to Spain. Paul's plans might not have come to fruition, but rest assured that God's did. God's did. His plan did not fail. Verses 30 through 32. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. 
with the realization that only by God's plan and only with God's blessing will this endeavor to get to Rome and on to Spain happen, he implores the church to pray with him. He begs them to pray with them, to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he has spent the first 11 chapters of this book unpacking, to pray by the love of the Spirit, which he has spent the next three chapters after that unpacking. Pray with Christ and with the Spirit and with me that the Lord's will would be done here. Notice the corporate sense in his request. He doesn't say pray for me. He says, would you pray with me for this? I'm praying and I need you to pray with me. And to further that, the corporate sense that we've seen in Romans, that the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. Church, pray with me and with the Spirit for the plans of God to not fail. And if you were here two weeks ago for Ascension Sunday when Patrick preached on the Jesus Christ interceding for us, we can add him into this corporate mix. Church, pray with me and with the Spirit and with Christ that the, the plans of the Lord will not fail here, that I would be able to come, that his plans would be fulfilled, that the gospel would go forth. We're praying with a great corporate crowd of witnesses here. Join me in this prayer, he says. And he asks them to pray for two things. One, that he may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. As we've already mentioned, this is going to be a really bad experience for him, and he has reasons to believe that it will be. He has good reason to be concerned about his physical life. In Acts, in Acts 25, um, it tells us that the only reason he even made it to Rome is because he appealed to Caesar. Right? Everything looked like it was going to stop him. Assassinations and lynchings and beatings and imprisonments. He knew that his life was at risk. And he asked them to pray that this gift which he brings to the Jews would be acceptable. Acts 21 tells us that many of the Jewish Christians were leery of him still. They were leery of the gospel he preached. They were leery of his ministry. And he goes, listen, I'm praying that when I come back with the gift, which is in fulfillment of what they requested me to do, that they would see that my ministry is legitimate and that my, the gospel among the Gentiles is legitimate and that the Spirit's work amongst the Gentiles to save them is legitimate. Pray that's acceptable and they see this. Pray with me on these behalfs, he says. And he says, pray with me for these things. Pray that the enemies of the Lord and pray that the church both agree with me and both accept me so that I may come to you and be refreshed with joy in your company. Right? We all long for refreshment. We all long for that, that, that um, refreshment of life. I'm going to the beach later this week to get that. Right? A few days from now, I'll be sitting on the sand going, this is refreshment. But it's not the type of refreshment Paul's referring to. Paul's talking about the refreshment that only comes through brothers and sisters in Christ who are mutually encouraging each other. It's the refreshment that I woke up this morning and there was something in me that went, I cannot wait to be at church today. I need it. And church, I don't always have that on a Sunday. You pay me to be here and I don't always have that on a Sunday. I don't always wake up going, I need to be with those people. Sometimes I wake up going, I don't want to be with those people. Today, there is this, I need the refreshment of the people of God. I need brothers and sisters to look at me in the face and encourage me. I need hugs. I need to hear voices sing. I need to hear confessions read. I need that refreshment for my joy today. That's what Paul needed. He goes, pray with me that I could have that. So I ask you, church, do you long for that? 
We long for that with each other. What do we do with this passage? Let me give you five things. I'll go through them rather quickly until the last one. Five things. First, we reflect on the beauty of the gospel that saves us, unites us, and sends us. I'm encouraging you this week to just spend some time, you, your Bible, your thoughts, maybe a pen and pencil, and just reflect on the gospel that saved you in the midst of your sin and despite your sin today. To reflect on the gospel that unites you with brothers and sisters whom you otherwise probably would not get along with very well. To reflect on the gospel that sends us, that actually uses us as messengers of that gospel to those who haven't heard and sends us to our neighbors, to our city, to the nations. Reflect on that. Secondly, share one another's burdens. Share one another's burdens. Yes, you help carry the burdens of one another, and you be willing to share your burdens with one another. Selfishness and self-reliance are both displayed in our lack of care for another's burdens and in our lack of trust to share our burdens. Share one another's burdens. Third, trust God's timing and plans. You might find yourself in a place in life right now where it feels like he doesn't see you, he doesn't know you, he doesn't understand you, he's not caring for you or working on your behalf. Perhaps you feel forgotten and ignored, maybe even hated by him. Trust his plans, his timing, his path, his outcome. Eternity is long, church. Your vision is short. Trust the plans of our eternal God. Trust his timing. Fourth, prayerfully dream and plan for God to use you to declare and display the gospel. Prayerfully, with prayer, plan and dream for God to use you to declare and display the gospel. This is Paul's prayer. This is his longing. I want to come and be used to preach the gospel among you, among them, and beyond them. I want to be used for that. God, help me be used for that. Pray with me that God would make me be able to do that. And then he set forth plans. Here are my plans. I'm doing this and this and this, and I'm coming to you. Plan, dream, and pray that God uses you to declare the gospel. And fifth, pray that God would take more of us away from here to declare and display the gospel. I'm literally asking you to pray that God would shrink this church in order to grow the church. Pray that God would take more of us. Don't pray it if you're not willing to pray it for yourself. God, take me and take others. Take us. Let me take that back. Do pray that, even if you're not willing to pray that for yourself. Start by praying it for others. And pray that it becomes your own prayer for yourself. That sounds a little bit better. Pray that God would take you and that he would take others. The following audio is from Amaze KC. More information about Amaze KC is available online at www.amazekc.com.